This is Amy from the Perks of Being a Book Lover podcast, and sometimes life happens and things don't go as we want them to. I had a little family emergency this week, and so what we have for you is a great remix episode. In episode 86, we first spoke with Melissa Juwan during the COVID pandemic. It was 2021, and she is one of the co-hosts of the Strong Sense of Place podcast. Melissa has been one of our favorite guests to date, and you will hear our original interview in the second half of the show. But for something a little new, you will hear a new conversation that we just had with Mel and her partner, David Humphreys. Since we last spoke with Melissa, they have added a short weekly podcast to their lineup called The Library of Lost Time, in which they each recommend a book and a fun distraction. In this remix, they tell us about this short concept podcast, and they each share a book about a library with us. And Carrie being, you know, a bit of an overachiever is now reading David's suggestion because of course she is. We will be back next week with an all new episode. So until then, enjoy a little something old and a little something new with our friends at the Strong Sense of Place podcast. We're doing a little remix episode this week, and we've got Melissa Juwan and David Humphreys from Strong Sense of Place and the Library of Lost Time podcast. Last time we spoke just with Melissa. David, we're so happy that we get to speak with you too this time. God, it's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to see you guys. (laughs) So when we talked with Melissa, Melissa was telling us about Strong Sense of Place, but now you all have started this new micro podcast, maybe. I don't know how you all think about it. Tell us how it got started. It got started because our Strong Sense of Place audience said, we want to hear more from you. And those take about two weeks to produce. So with the reading and the research and recording and editing and all that. So we were trying to think of a way that we could talk to people more frequently and bring them something nice every week. And that's how we started doing the Library of Lost Time. And this one's nice because you can have guests on it sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like us. Occasionally we have people come by. We do two parts of that. It's a little 10-minute show. It comes out on Friday. It's sort of intended to be listened to as you drink a cup of coffee or whatever. We talk about two books that are usually new for us. And then we have something called our Distraction of the Week, which is just a little bit of something we found that was interesting or delightful or that took us away from work that week that we want to tell people about. And so now we are bringing other people in as well, like you guys, to talk about things that you also found delightful. So with talking about a new book each week, And then still doing Strong Sense of Place, how does that impact your reading life? Because I don't know about you all, but Amy and I, for a long time, were doing a new guest every week. And it started feeling (laughs) overwhelming, having to keep up with all this reading. And so we sort of switched, you know, how we're doing things starting in 2023. So are you adding new books to your your load of books? And and how does that work? How are you feeling about that? With the Strong Sense of Place show... We only talk about books that we have read in their entirety. Those are full-on recommendations. We love this book. Here's why. And The Library of Lost Time is kind of mixed. Sometimes I'm recommending a book that I've read the entire thing. Sometimes it's literally a book that I just learned about and I'm so excited to read it and here's why. And we try to be really clear when we haven't read the book yet when we're saying this sounds fun, can't wait to read it, (laughs) as opposed to, I love this book, and maybe you would too. So it's not quite as much reading and research as Strong Sense of Place, but we do take it really seriously. We read reviews, we look at the author's other works, we read, you know, the Kindle sample to read the first couple of pages at least to make sure that it's quality. Mm -hmm. But I do feel some pressure sometimes when I am recommending a book on our show that it really is something that somebody else is going to like. Because obviously, not every book is right for every reader. 
but you hate to recommend something. And then you have your listeners say, that was awful. I hated that. Why did I waste time on that? You told me to read that, you know? I I mean, I, yeah, I take it pretty seriously, but I also, I think by now our listeners know what kinds of things appeal to me personally. So they kind of have a sense of, you know, if Mel goes all gothic (laughs) and I like gothic too, then I would probably like this one. But yeah, it does feel a little bit like tender sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and we try to frame it for the audience, right? So this is a horror book, but it's not that scary. Or, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, this is like romance leaning into literature. So if you like that kind of thing, it's available. This is a YA book. So if you don't like YA books, it's not going to be your thing. But One of the nice things about your show, too, is that I feel like lots of different kinds of listeners can get something from it because, Melissa, you focus mainly on fiction and David, you do a lot of nonfiction. So somebody who's a fiction reader or a nonfiction reader can get ideas from your podcast. Yeah, we try to mix up the genres in both of our shows. Every once in a while, I surprise everyone and recommend a nonfiction (laughs) book, even on the Library of Lost Time. I recommended a great book about pockets a couple weeks ago that was really fun. I've heard some things about that pocket book. Somebody else recommended (laughs) it on another podcast I listened to. So, yeah, that's fun. Well, and and I seem to remember, I think, David, it was you. There was a book. The author was Chakraborty. It was a fantasy set in, like, Egypt? City of Brass. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say City of Brass. Yeah. And I read that. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and agreed. And I was like, yes. I like this yeah. book. David did a yeah. good job recommending. <laughs> I'm so glad you enjoyed it. It's a really lovely action adventure book uh, with a lot of ancient Egypt in it and a lot of sort of the pantheon of Egyptian gods and, and fables run through it. And it was just a lot of fun. And then after you recommended that book, you also recommended on The Library of Lost Time, The Adventures of Amina al-Sarafi. Yeah. And we read that together this summer. Ooh. Yeah. And it was also a big adventure. Yeah. That's with a lady it. pirate. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. So when you say you read it together, did, were you reading it aloud to each other? Did you listen to it as an audio book in the car? How did you read it together? Buddy read. Buddy read. read it okay. separately. And then at meals would be like, what part did you just read? Ah. <laughs> yeah. We do sometimes when we're on road trips, read a book physically together. Dave is an excellent human audiobook. <laughs> so he reads to me on road trips while I drive. Oh, wow. And it's really fun. Hmm. Yeah. So on your show, Strong Sense of Place, you talk about a specific country or a specific region or a specific place like the theater. So today we're going to have you tell us about some books that are set in a library. So I'm very excited to hear what books you're going to tell us about today. Okay, so we have done an episode of Strong Sense of Place about the library. And both of us decided that we were going to talk about two additional books so that your listeners can go and check out our previous recommendations and have some new ones. Awesome. I'm excited. Also, my book came out since. Yeah, so did mine. Yeah. You want to go first? Uh, Sure. So we do all kinds of books on Strong Sense of Place. We mentioned that. We we do a lot of literary fiction, but we also talk about genre fiction and nonfiction you mentioned. Uh, We talked about a beautiful photography book when we were talking about Costa Rica. We talked about a poet in our episode on Jamaica. That was one of the delights of the show for me was (laughs) finding this poet that I never would have known about. He's great. Kai Miller. Kai Miller. Yeah. And uh, we talk about graphic novels a lot. So we talked about manga with Tilly Walden in our episode on Japan and We talked about when a book called When Stars Are Scattered, Mm -hmm. which is about a graphic novel about living in a refugee camp in our in our Kenya episode. So when I started to think about books about libraries, I thought it would be fun to talk about one of my favorite cartoonists working now. His name is Tom Gauld. He's Scottish. He does a lot of work for The Guardian, which is a British newspaper. And he's done a few covers for The New Yorker, that kind of thing. His work leans heavily into the literary and the scientific. So he's kind of got that mind. He writes gags about bookshop cats and uh, how hard it is to get a grant and that kind of stuff. 
he uses a lot of Venn diagrams in his cartoons and he makes fun of like literary tropes and that kind of thing. His cartoons tend to be stick figures, right? They have very sort of simple stick figures, but his design is really sophisticated. And I know that's a bit of an oxymoron, right? He's doing sophisticated <laughs> stick figures. Um, but it's, but it's true. true. Yeah, it's what he does. He he has sort of really lovely line work and he uses nice shapes and colors and that kind of stuff. He has a bunch of books out, but his last one is called Revenge of the Librarians. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a collection of work that he did for the books section of The Guardian. And I want to read you two of these. And I know that Reading comics is not the best way to discover new <laughs> comics. Uh, so I'm going to do my best here. Uh, these are two that I think we'll, we'll read okay. The first is a, a three-panel cartoon, and it's called Great Lost Sentences. So Great Lost Sentences. And the first panel says 1813. And there's a picture of a woman in a long dress, and she's watching a carriage ride away. And the text under it says, Jane Austen writes a sentence so charming and witty that it gets married to the richest man in Stratfordshire. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second panel says, 1903 and the images of a man surrounded by punctuation. And the text says, Henry James writes a sentence so long and circuitous that he becomes lost inside of it for three years. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> And then the last panel says 1947, and there's a man, and he's tied up on the on his office floor, and there's a gun on the floor, and there's a bottle of whiskey, and there's a wall safe there that's open, and it's been emptied out. And the text says, Raymond Chandler writes a sentence so hard-boiled that it spikes his drink, steals his savings, and frames it for me. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Those are fun. So the second cartoon is called The Dark Side of the Poetry Boom. <laughs> and there are four panels. And in each panel, you see a writer getting threatened by a mobster of some kind. <laughs> so there are different writers, different mobsters, but that's that's the setting. And the first panel says, Fierce Turf Wars. And the thug leans into the writer and says, well, well, if it ain't a favor poet on the wrong side of town. <laughs> and the second panel says, corrupt gamblers. And one of the mobsters says to the writer, go down in the final round of the T.S. Eliot prize. <laughs> Capiche? <laughs> and the third panel says, protection rackets. And a man with a baseball bat is standing over an editor. And he says, Nice little quarterly poetry journal you got here. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> and then the final panel, the text says, Ruthless Kingpins. And you see a guy with a knife talking to someone tied to a chair. And the thug says, If it was just me, kid, I'd forget about this whole thing. But the poet laureate, she ain't so reasonable. <laughs> So, okay, uh, you sold it. I'm going to go get it. <laughs> it's really great, yeah. Uh, in addition to being just funny and literary, the book itself is a really nice piece of printing. It's a sort of a long hardcover red book with, with black and gold highlights on it, and the paper is really nice, and it'd make a great gift for somebody, maybe yourself. <laughs> it's The Revenge of the Librarians, and it's cartoons by Tom Gall. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> So the book I chose is one that I had on my TBR since it came out in 2020. I don't know why it took me so long to read it. I just read it a few days ago in honor of spooky season. It's called Unseen City by Amy Sharon. And it's kind of a mashup of a sort of literary ghost story and historical fiction set in modern Brooklyn with just a fantastic heroine. Our girl is named Meg Reese. And she is a self-proclaimed spinster librarian. She's 40 years old, and she's pretty satisfied with her life. She rides her bike around the city, and she works in the archive at the Brooklyn Central Library. She has a cat named Virginia Woolf. She has a pretty good relationship with her brother, so she's got a little bit of social life. 
I want to read you just a bit from early in the book so you can get a picture of what Meg is like and also hear the author's voice because it's super fun. Here we go. All her heroes had resisted wifehood. Jane Austen, Emily Dickinson, Lolly Willows. Okay, so Lolly Willows was a fictional character and eventually became a witch. (laughs) But still, Meg reasoned, better a witch than a wife. Just look what had happened to Sylvia Plath, to Dorothea Brooks. You couldn't say that, though. It rankled. It offended married people because you were implying that their own carefully constructed lives had snags woven into them. No one wanted to hear this. So she had a stock response. If I ever married, I would lose my spinster librarian card. (laughs) She'd said it so many times, she'd begun to imagine the card was an actual object, providing access to books no one else knew existed, which, she felt, would be a much more useful resource than a spouse any day. (laughs) So already, I love Meg. So our girl Meg doesn't much believe in love, obviously, but she does believe in ghosts, mostly because she has daily conversations with her sister, Kate, who died 10 years earlier. And when you read that the first time, you're not sure if she's actually talking to Kate's ghost or if it's more of an emotional haunting. She just comes home and she talks to Kate because she misses her. Mm -hmm. That's the setup. And then... At the start of the story, two things happen that upset Meg's existence. First, she learns that the cozy rent-controlled apartment she's made her home is about to be sold out from under her, which anybody who's ever tried to rent an apartment in New York City is probably (laughs) cringing right now. And second, a very attractive man named Ellis has come to the library with a compelling historical mystery that he needs help solving. He needs to look at maps and building records in the archives to answer some questions about a house that his family owns. These two things completely knock Meg off of the track. She is distracted by this investigation into Brooklyn's history. She's got a growing attraction for Ellis, even though she and we find out that he, too, is a little bit haunted. Mm. I don't want to give anything else more away about the plot because it's super fun the way this story unfolds and it would ruin your reading experience. (laughs) But I can tell you a few more things about the book to sell it. There is so much literary love in this book, of course. Our heroine's a librarian. But she is dropping book titles all over the place and they're accessible, right? They're books that you've probably read or have at least heard about. So Jane Eyre and the Wide Sargasso Sea, A Christmas Carol, The Haunting of Hill House, The Turn of the Screw. These are not obscure texts. These are books that Meg loves because she loves to read. The book also taught me a lot about New York City history and the Civil War that I didn't know anything about. But the research isn't like plopped onto the page. It's all woven into the story in a way that makes it really integral to the plot, which is my favorite way to learn. It's one of the reasons we started the Strong Sense of Place in the first place is that I like to read novels that teach me about the world. And there's this fascinating story in this book about the real life town of Weeksville. Do you guys know about this? Have you ever heard? I never heard of it. No. So Weeksville was a village named after a gentleman named Weeks in what's now the Crown Heights neighborhood of Brooklyn. It was started in the 1830s, and it was founded by free African-Americans after the state of New York outlawed slavery. Hmm. And there was farmland, and the there were business people. There was an orphanage and a school and a church, and some of the men worked on the docks, and some of them were farmers, and it was this really nice African-American neighborhood right there in Brooklyn. Today... It's home to the Weeksville Heritage Center, where four houses from original residents have been turned into a museum. Hmm. You can walk through the houses and learn what life was like there and see what the day-to-day existence was all about. All of that plays a really big part in this novel, Unseen City. When I started reading this book, I had no idea where it was going to go. And it's just such a fun ride. The characters are a fantastic company. It's one of those books that reminds you why you love reading so much because it just kind of swept me away into this world and like taught me things and made me think about things and it hit my feelings and it made me laugh. 
It's really an examination of grief and loss and the things that haunt us, whether they're supernatural or emotional. But it's also really, really fun because Meg is very funny and kind of sarcastic. It was just such a fun ride and will make you want to go to the library and dig into an archive and maybe meet a mysterious stranger <laughs> and solve a mystery. <laughs> well, you all did well. That's two for I know, two. you sold those. That I'm, that I'm adding. <laughs> yeah, I you know. sold those for sure. I will say if people want more books about the library, <laughs> our episode called The Library, Endless Books, Reading Nooks, and Lots of Possibility <laughs> has many more library-centric books in it. And on our website, I have an even bigger list than in our podcast episode because obviously – we are obsessed with stories about libraries. <laughs> Who isn't? I mean, those are, are some of my, those in bookstores. I, mean, I love, I love stories about libraries and bookstores. Yes. So, and, and people, people who love to read. To read. Okay. Well, and David, it was so great catching up with you again. And I highly recommend both of the podcasts that you do. I am a listener to both. And I don't know if you remember that Costa Rica episode was one of my favorites. And I actually made a dish of of beans and rice after I listened to your episode. I think I took a picture of it on Instagram and sent it to you. I love that. That is my favorite thing. If I can make someone read a book and or cook a recipe, my work is done. Okay. Well, I, I have to I have to try to one up Amy here. I don't Melissa, I don't know if I emailed you this. I feel like I did, but maybe not. So I was so inspired by strong sense of place that I created an independent study for my students. Yes. I went through and like for high schoolers, I sort of stole, I hope that's okay, sort of stole some Please. of your ideas. But then for my middle schoolers, I found middle grade books and they had to talk about the setting and how did the setting add to the book. So, you know, I know that, that your show inspired Amy's dinner, but it inspired <laughs> curriculum Hers for my students. Whole generation of students. See, I see where you're going with <laughs> That's it. Right. That's right. That's right. I love right. it so much. So basically, you're saying that Dave and I are ultimately going to be responsible for world peace. That's exactly right. Exactly Let's right. Not <laughs> that. You know what? That is fantastic. That makes me so happy. Yeah. I love it. Carrie, I want to know what it is that you're going to talk about this week. I think it was our last episode before the new year. We talked about books that we wanted to read in the new year, and I have been trying to knock mine out. So I just finished Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell, and I loved it, gave it five stars. I had to keep reminding myself that it's fiction because I really wanted to believe that it's all true. We don't know very much about William Shakespeare at all. I mean, there's just not a whole lot of documents about him and his life. He did have a son named Hamnet who died when he was 11 years old. Okay. And he also has a play, Hamlet. And those two names, Hamlet and Hamnet, were like interchangeable. They're the same name. What Maggie O'Farrell did in this book is she imagines the story of William Shakespeare and the death of his son Hamnet, but it's really told from the perspective of William Shakespeare's wife. Now, her name was Anne Hathaway, but in this imagined story, her name is Agnes. I have read Shakespeare and I teach Shakespeare and I love Shakespeare. I love Hamlet, the play. And I just have this curiosity about Shakespeare. You know, we try to extrapolate from the plays what we think he was like as a person. And so this book, I think, does a wonderful job of putting a reader into what life was like during that time. They don't know what Hamnet, the, the real life son, died from, but Maggie O'Farrell imagines it to be basically, uh, you know, the pestilence, the Black Death. So it was super interesting and just beautifully written. I mean, it was so beautifully sorrowful. That's how I would describe it. Because Agnes is writing about the death of her son and how she has to prepare his body for burial and then taking him to the grave. And it was deeply sorrowful, but also beautiful. So I highly, highly recommend it. Well, Melissa, what, what have you been reading? 
So we are still in a very strict lockdown here in Prague. So I treated myself recently and did two rereads with audiobooks of two of my favorite books. I usually have an audiobook, a Kindle book, and a print book going so that I can hit those at different times during the day. So for my morning walks, I revisited Less by Andrew Sean Greer and A Room with a View by Ian mm. Forster. And after I listened to them both back to back, I realized I chose those <laughs> because they're both like travel logs of sunny places. Less is about a gay man who is 49. He's about to turn 50. His ex-boyfriend is getting married. He can't bear to go to the wedding. And he decides the only thing to do is to accept every invitation to literary events that he has received and go for a tour around the world. And that is such a great setup for a novel. And it won the Pulitzer Prize. That's not why I love it. I love it because the descriptions of the places he goes are so evocative. And it has this very sweet love story at its heart. I just absolutely love that book. I think I've probably read it four times. Okay, I'm going to add two more things about Les just to sell it. It starts in San Francisco. He goes to Mexico, Italy, Germany, Paris, Morocco, India, and Japan, and then finds himself back in San Francisco. So you get oh my gosh. food and music and scenery and all of those places. It's very funny, but also really, really moving. I've listened to the audio. I've read it in print. It's just a delight. Well, Amy, tell me what you have been reading. Last week was spring break here where we live, and we didn't really go on a big trip, but I did take my daughter on sort of a long weekend to St. Louis. And, you know, I mentioned that I like to read books set in the place where I'm going to visit, even if it's just for a long weekend. This book I read, it is a wild romp of a book called The Curse of Jacob Tracy by Holly Messenger. And it is one of the most unique books that I have read so far this year. It is a paranormal Western that is really an adventure thriller. Our main character, Jacob Tracy, originally had been in the seminary to become a priest because of his father's wishes, but he soon realizes that that isn't really his calling. And the Civil War breaks out. So he and his friend leave the seminary, join the military to go fight in the war. And he's almost fatally wounded in battle. And it's at this time that he starts seeing dead people. He thinks that maybe he's crazy or possibly that he's cursed by God because he left the seminary. And so he tries to keep the secret from people. But the few people he tells, they seem to die within a few weeks after that. So we jump ahead 13 years and it's in the 1880s. He's called Trace by people who know him. So Trace finds himself in St. Louis with his partner, a black horse trainer named Boz. And they work sort of odd jobs, but their main job is that they shepherd people who want to travel out West. And, you know, St. Louis is the gateway to the West. They meet this woman named Miss Fairyweather, and she says she has a small job for him. And he's to go to this small town west of St. Louis to retrieve a box that was left to her by a friend after her death. But once Trace and Boz go, what Trace realizes is that the box is also wanted by a demon. And this is the beginning of our whirlwind of a story that's filled with demons, ghosts, werewolves, bloodsuckers, and a Russian magician who may be an evil mastermind. And Trace has a special psychic power, and he's learning how to control it while also fighting for good. So this one was super interesting because it's set during the age when spiritualism was really a, a popular thing. It's the time of seances, trying to talk to the dead. And this touches on that quite a bit. And there's also an interesting relationship between religion of all types and Trace's psychic abilities. My favorite character was actually his partner, Boz. Boz doesn't have any psychic ability, but he does have common sense. He often sees things more clearly than Trace, and they have a great rapport with each other, and it's a fun relationship to read about. 
This is a debut novel by Holly Messenger, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was highly creative, and it's the first in a series. I think I gave it three stars on Goodreads, but it would really be close to four. I just wanted a little bit more character development. And you could really see as her book went on that she was really building up to- towards it towards the end. But there is a prequel to this book about how Trace and Boz meet, and there's also a sequel to it. And I intend to read them all because I think Messenger is really going to light it on fire in these next books. So this could be a standalone book, though. It doesn't answer all of our questions by the end, but it doesn't really feel like a cliffhanger to me either. That sounds amazing. And I can imagine Dave and I arguing over who would get to read that. (laughs) It would make an amazing TV series. I mean, it was just it was really action packed. I like all kinds of genres. So I like paranormal. I like horror, but it wasn't really scary like a horror. I mean, you had werewolves and ghosts and demons, but to me, it wasn't scary. And I do like some Westerns. And so that was kind of fun because they do travel, you know, to Idaho and to Wyoming. And that's where you get more of the Western feel. Yeah, it was fun to read. Well, and I'm thinking, can we do St. Louis in our next season so I can read that? <laughs> Amy, I, I'm starting to get the feeling that if you tire of doing our podcast, you're going to like send your resume to Melissa to do Strong Sense of Play. Amy, I, I'm having a, a little bit of wanderlust today because we're talking to somebody all the way across the world, which is super cool. It's our first international guest. It's pretty exciting. Her name is Melissa Julwan, and she is in Prague, and she is the co-host of the podcast Strong Sense of Place. So she is going to tell us all about Prague and moving there and the podcast and all things bookish. So Melissa, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm really excited. And I had no idea I was your first international guest. I feel like I should, I don't know, be serving treats or wearing a hat or something. (laughs) Well, you happen to be talking to two people who love to travel, who love to read. And I'm really excited to talk to you because I am a person who, when I travel, I love to read books about the place where I am going. So your podcast, Strong Sense of Place, is that but on steroids. So we're going to talk all about that. But first, I want to find out a little bit about you and about what started your love for reading. Oh, boy. I grew up in a really small town in Pennsylvania. And we didn't have a library when I was a little kid. But when I was about 11 or 12, we got a library in a storefront on like the main square of our town. And this is how cool I was, you guys. I used to roller skate to the library in my blue and yellow sneaker skates from Sears. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it was, you know, (laughs) like late 70s, early 80s. And I was thinking about this when I was getting ready to talk to you guys. I used to check out the strangest mix of books. Like I distinctly remember checking out a book about how to do algebra multiple times. I am terrible at math. <laughs> but I had it in my head that if I took this book out of the library, I could learn how to do algebra. I also vividly remember reading biographies of Harriet Tubman and Pele, the soccer player, multiple times. Huh. I don't know why those things struck a chord with me. <laughs> but I always loved that idea that the library was full of all of this stuff that you could choose anything you wanted and nobody was really peeking over your shoulder to see what you were doing. And it always feels like there's so much possibility there. Like you could be the kind of person that learns how to do algebra. It's right there. <laughs> well, it's filled with the answers. Yeah. No matter what the question is, you can search for the answers there. Yeah. Yeah. I also, yeah. of course, absolutely loved Judy Bloom. Mm. Who didn't in the 70s and 80s? Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. And we had a copy of, I didn't have a copy. Good heavens. I didn't have a copy of Forever. But (laughs) a girl at school had a copy of Forever. And I remember getting passed around and the sexy parts were highlighted Mm. (laughs) and people were hiding it inside their textbooks. Yeah. I remember hiding it under my mattress. (laughs) I wonder how many copies of Forever there were that girls passed around because I think that ours also was a a copy that people passed around. Isn't that funny? It's it's so sweet when you think about it now. Like that book is not that racy. I mean, it's so adorable. I also used to always just pick up whatever my dad was reading. 
And that's how I got introduced to the author Lawrence Sanders. I feel like this is this whole thing is like a blast from the past because I don't even know if people know who Lawrence Sanders is now, but he was huge in the 70s and 80s. And he wrote this book called The First Deadly Sin, which featured Edward X. Delaney, who was a New York City detective and tracked down serial killers. And then Lawrence Sanders also wrote the series of books featuring Archie McNally, who was kind of a rich, spoiled guy who lived in Palm Beach and <laughs> solved mysteries for his rich family's friends. <laughs> and those are a little bit lighter. But as I was thinking through that, I realized that both of them have a really strong sense of place. So apparently I've Aww. been at this shtick since I was <laughs> 10 or 11. <laughs> just the idea of getting transported somewhere else by what you're reading. And it was particularly important to me living in this little town in Pennsylvania. Like I didn't meet people from other parts of the world really. And, you know, I didn't know then that I was going to be able to travel and move to Europe. So yeah, it was a lot of escapism and kind of trying to understand the world by reading about these people in other places. So that's the perfect segue into talking about your podcast and and the website Strong Sense of Place. So you and your husband mm -hmm. David created the website and the podcast. So can you provide our listeners a little summary of of what the podcast is about? Yes, of course. In each episode of the podcast, we choose one destination somewhere in the world and we talk about it. I do what's called the 101, so it's the basics of culture and history and a little bit of geography, just to kind of set context for what we're going to talk about. And then Dave does Two Truths and a Lie, where I don't know. I'm what terrible he, at that game. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to ask me. So it's always really fun, but also a little nerve wracking because I feel like I'm going to look kind of stupid. <laughs> I, and I always pick the ones that I want to be true, even if they're outrageous. <laughs> So we kind of set the context for the place we're going to be visiting. And then we talk about five books that took us there on the page. And it's almost always a mix of fiction and nonfiction and different genres and fun, we hope, <laughs> and a little travel inspiration, whether it's armchair travel or you're actually thinking about a trip that you might take in the future. I've listened to a handful of your episodes so far, and I love it. Two of them that I've listened to are actually places that I'm fairly familiar with, and it was fun to hear those, the Ireland and Pennsylvania. And I read a lot of Irish fiction. And all but one of the books that you talked about, I had never read. So that was really fun. It gave me a whole new list of books to read. I love that I introduced you to some new books. Places like Ireland have such a wealth of wonderful stories coming out of Ireland. Oh, um, yeah. I only got to choose three for that episode, and that is really challenging. From what I understand, the two of you sold everything, moved to Prague four or five years ago. So I want to know about that. So we were in our 40s and working nine to five corporate sort of grown up jobs living in Austin, Texas. And we realized that we really wanted to be traveling more. And extension of that was we wanted to have more flexibility in our lives to just chase after some things that we wanted to do. We wanted to have more adventures and see more of the world. So we started to think about how we could do that because trying to do that while having grown-up jobs seemed kind of limiting and we didn't really know how to approach it through that channel. So we made a list of things we thought we would enjoy doing that could potentially maybe someday make some money. And we picked one. And the one that we picked was make a cookbook. Because at the time, on the side, I was doing a blog about paleo recipes because I was doing CrossFit and I was experimenting with paleo recipes. And so we wrote the first cookbook. David took the photos. I did the recipe development and testing and writing. And we self-published it. And it sold like gangbusters. <laughs> it was really successful. People really oh, wow. liked it. And eventually I was able to quit my full-time job and focus on the cookbook business full-time. That was the first step to getting to Prague, which I know does not sound connected, but stay with me. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, we were visiting Prague. We came to Prague four times. And on each subsequent visit, we became more convinced that we wanted to try living here. 
We did not know anyone at the time who was an expat. We didn't know anybody who had good jobs and quit them to chase after this dream of living in Europe. This was all foreign to us. Eventually, we got it together to start making the actual step-by-step plan to get from Austin, Texas to Prague. And it included almost three years in Vermont for David to get his master's in cartooning, which is just a little detour. Yeah. It's it's steps to move to Prague, get a master's in cartooning. I don't know. (laughs) What is it? Prague by way of Vermont? (laughs) Exactly. But what happened was he finished school. I finished the third cookbook in our trilogy of cookbooks. It was 2017. We were finally ready to move. It only took six years to make it happen, but we did it. And we moved to Prague. It wasn't a conscious decision at first when we moved to Prague to start Strong Sense of Place, but I kind of had this idea in the back of my mind that I wanted to move out of food writing and more into writing that felt closer to my heart as much as I love to eat. And I like to talk about food in the context of traveling. It kind of wore me out to talk about nutrition with people. And I thought talking about books is gotta be easier. (laughs) So when we moved to Prague, we started working in earnest on this idea and kind of exploring what it could be. Partially because like you, when I travel, I like to read books set in the place that I'm going to. And I usually choose novels. Dave usually chooses nonfiction. And we realized that was probably a good recipe for a show because we could give people a broad swath across the different stories that are available about a place. And we could share our enthusiasm for places that we've been, but also get really excited about places we hadn't been because let's face it, we're not going to be able to see all of the things we want to do before our time ticks out on this planet. So this is kind of our way to share our enthusiasm for the world and for story with other people. And that is how we ended up in Prague. (laughs) Has David always been a big reader as well? Or is that something that you nudged him towards? He has always been a reader too. And that was one of the things that made us really like each other when we met. And his mom was such a devoted reader that when we were getting married, she brought a book in her purse to our wedding. (laughs) I like her already. And at first I was like, what? And then I was like... Yeah, I mean, why not? There's probably some boring parts when you're waiting for someone else to get married. (laughs) It's not her wedding. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I want to talk about setting a little bit. So I'm an English teacher in addition to being a, a book lover. So setting or place is one of the fundamental parts of any story, but it sometimes seems to get less attention than maybe it deserves. And and I feel like I should mention just that setting is also inclusive of time as well. So what is it that you find interesting about place? So a few years ago, I was a guest on the What Should I Read Next podcast with Ann Bogle. And that got me thinking really critically about why I like the books I like. And I'd never really done that before. I mean, I think unless you're in the talking about books business like we all are now, you don't necessarily think about that. You just, something comes across your consciousness. And you're like, oh, that sounds good. And you pick it up and you read it. But when I started trying to figure out like, what is it about these things that I like? I realized that all of them had this common thread of really vividly describing some other place. Now I have to read books all over the world as my job. (laughs) (laughs) I have to be careful about not only reading the kinds of things I would naturally gravitate toward. But I used to read a lot of police procedurals. I've always liked gothic novels you know, in a crumbling mansion. I always have preferred to connect with characters more than plot. But when I started looking at the things I love, I realized that they were all books that transported me to somewhere else. And that was just such an eye-opener. I've heard someone say that reading can fall into two broad categories. You're either looking in a mirror or you're looking through a window. And I'm definitely the looking through the window person. I want to peek into other people's lives. I want to go inside other people's brains. And if they do interesting things while that's happening, that is fantastic. And that's what makes a great book. But I'm first character and setting. Because sometimes a work can focus on place 
and, and that's beautiful and interesting. But other times, place almost becomes a character. Mm-hmm. So do, do you enjoy it when character and place meld together? 100%. When I can find those books for the show, I'm so excited when all of those elements come together really well. When we were first starting, we drew up a list of what our rules or guidelines were going to be for how we chose books. And the number one rule is the story can only take place here. If it's a story that you could pick up and drop into another place without fundamentally changing that story, it can still be a fantastic book, but it's not right for our show. Because what we're trying to do is very narrow in scope, which is if you have not been to this place, but you read this you know, novel or nonfiction book or cookbook, whatever book we choose, you will have a sense of what it's like to be there. And to me, that is just magical. It's escapism. It's educational. It's inspiring. And it really builds empathy, which Mm. as I think we're seeing is even more important now than ever. You know, being able to really stand in someone else's shoes and see the world the way they see it instead of othering, uh, you know, people from another country or another culture. It just makes us kinder to other people. And I think also kinder to ourselves, which is just a win-win proposition. I was just thinking when you were talking, I think there's some books that people automatically go to. Like I was thinking about Heart of Darkness, that being one, or like My Antonia and being set in Nebraska. Are there some that just automatically your mind just goes to? Well, I feel like literature is, when it's done well, is so rich that there's so many slices you can take out of it, right? So you can look at it from the sense of place. You can look at it from the character development. You can look at it from symbolism, whatever. Because as you were talking, I was thinking about how For example, Jane Eyre is one of my favorite books. You can talk about Jane Eyre just by talking about the different houses Mm. and the era and the geographical location. Like you can understand that story just by talking about the buildings that the people live in and why they were in those places. And so it's so fascinating to me how really good writing serves that up to us. We do some literature on the podcast, I sprinkle it in here and there. I really, really love Elizabeth Kostova's books. She wrote The Historian Mm -hmm. and she wrote Mm -hmm. The Shadowland. I'm desperately waiting for her to write another one. The Historian, for people who aren't familiar, it's a like a swashbuckling adventure through Europe on the hunt for the truth behind was Vlad the Impaler really a vampire and is he still alive? I love that book. Oh, the travelogue parts of that novel are so much fun. And the love of books and libraries and the respect for librarians, like the librarians are the hero of that story because they're deciphering all of these clues that are buried in diaries. I mean, what more could you ask for? And she does a similar thing with The Shadowland set in Bulgaria, which is just another big adventure that kind of has tendrils into history. I really love books that have multiple timelines. I'm a big historical fiction fan, particularly for trying to understand other countries. We just did an episode on Vietnam and a couple of the books I read were historical fiction. And it just gave me a much richer understanding of the Vietnam War than anything I learned in school or any nonfiction books I'd read because it just really got to the emotional heart of the issue. Your podcast looks at different places. I I mentioned a few, but you've done Russia, Morocco, uh, cities like Chicago, but you've also focused on the small places such as circuses or restaurants. So how do you go about selecting <laughs> a place? <laughs> oh, there is so much talking when it's time to choose the new destination. <laughs> <laughs> Our seasons are 12 episodes. For each season, we choose from every region of the globe. So usually it's from at least one continent. And then also two U.S. states because the majority of our audience is the United States and we want to cover their homeland. And we choose three themes. And the themes are places that you can visit that are not geographical. So a train, the sea, the circus, a restaurant. And we kind of get out the world map 
and our list of where we visited previous seasons and where we think we might go next season and try to cover the whole world and think about books we know we really have a burning desire to read right now. And we talk to our patrons and our supporters on social media and ask them where they want to go. And then we try to pull all of that together and come up with a season that introduces all of us to new places and highlights some favorites. I did research before we started this project on where are the most visited places for Americans to go when they go on vacation. And Canada, Mexico, and England were the top three, which was eye-opening, but also we don't only want to take people to places where they speak English. <laughs> so right. that's, that's kind of when we got the idea to hit every area of the globe every season. And that has been a really good guiding principle. It's really interesting. It's been so much fun to talk about places that we visited because it reminds us of all of the things that we did there and we can share our personal experiences and recommendations of things we enjoyed. What surprised me is how much fun it's been researching new places. But the thing that it showed me is that if you take the time to try to understand a place, even if you think you would never be interested in visiting there, everywhere in the world has something really special that makes it worth your time and understanding, if not your visit. And it's been so amazing. I read these fantastic books set in Nigeria. And I watched videos of people going to the street markets and eating in Nigeria. And as a supreme introvert, I feel like Nigeria and particularly Lagos would be very overwhelming for me. But if, if I could magically transport to the street market and eat some food and then come home, <laughs> I would do <laughs> yeah. that in a nanosecond because it's so vibrant and the people are so friendly and energetic and the food looks so good. But it's also one of those places where when you're walking down the street, people are talking to you the whole time and you're meant to haggle over prices and it's very hot and energetic and very extroverted. So I don't think that would be a good fit for me for a vacation, but boy, I would love to magically transport there just for a little while. <laughs> I want to know how you prepare for the show. So once you have picked some of the locations that you're going to talk about, then do you Google like a book set in Nigeria? I mean, how many books do you have to read or do you get recommendations from people or how does that work? Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of all of it. I read all of the book websites and publications, book sections. And there's a lot of Googling. I follow people on Instagram and see what they're reading. And anytime I come across a book that seems like it has a strong sense of place, I throw it into this little text-based database that I made. So I have you know, over 200 individual documents named for every country in the world and every state in the United States. And when I find a book title, I just throw the title and author and description into that document. And then when we've picked a place, I go and review that and see if there are things that I'd like to read. And that's when the work really starts because we read samples, we read reviews, try to get a sense of if we would like the book, and then we start reading. I read three for every episode and David reads two. And we don't talk to each other about the specifics of our books. We only talk about generally what it's about and what the title is so that we can make sure that they coordinate well together. But we save all the specifics for when we're recording so that our conversations are fresh and fun. Right. When I'm choosing my books, I even give myself another set of guidelines, which is after I've done a little research and I learned something about the history and the culture, I think about the place and what kinds of stories might give the best sense of that place. And so I usually pick three buckets that I want the books to fall into. For example, I was just preparing for the newsroom. We're covering the newsroom in our new season. And I wanted something set in a TV newsroom so we could get the sense of what it's like for people who are, you know, churning out content on film every day on the camera. I wanted something historical to understand more about the origins of journalism. And I wanted something with some atmosphere and character development. And so I started looking for books that fit into those niches. So I kind of add an extra layer of difficulty on top of <laughs> my, my reading. 
<laughs> Partially because I want to make sure I'm giving our audience lots of choices, but also because once I start digging into a topic, I get really excited about the details and I want to know more about those things. So what are some places that are on your list for the show in the future? I have one that I want to suggest to you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> But but what are some places that are on your list for next season? Well, eventually we hope to cover the whole globe and every U.S. state. So that is our general out there someday. Dave did the math one day. He thinks if we did it consistently, it would take us over 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there are some places where we're not going to be able to find five books. Like island nations tend to not have a lot of stories coming out of them because everyone is enjoying the beaches. <laughs> but that is our goal, to hit every country in the world. We just picked out our destinations for season three, and we did our usual get out the world map and I was going to say argue, but that doesn't sound very nice. We don't argue. We don't debate, argue. We have, discuss. We have passionate debates about <laughs> what we're going to cover. So the first four destinations of season three are Hollywood, which I read mm. such good books, you guys. I'm so excited about Hollywood. Costa Rica, The Newsroom, oh. and The Arctic. Well, the place that I was going to suggest is Appalachia in general, yes. not so much like a state per se, because yes. you can certainly find writers from Kentucky and West Virginia and Tennessee and Virginia. But yes. the area in general, we have interviewed lots of great authors from that area, and that would be a cool one for you to do sometime. We just did a survey of our audience, and that was a really popular destination. Oh, good. Definitely on our list for future yeah, the regions get really interesting because then we don't have to look for books that are set in a specific state necessarily, and they they can be so atmospheric. There's this book I read, oh, so long ago now, called She Walks These Hills. Mm -hmm. Do you know this book? Sharon McCrum, I think is her Sharon name. Sharon yes. Yes. I've read some other of her books. Yeah. Oh, so good. It's very spooky and atmospheric. And- I guess after she wrote those, she wrote a, several books that were like that, kind of almost ghost stories, but not quite. Very Southern Gothic. When I was looking on Ural's website, another writer that I saw uh, several times was Carrie Greenwood, Cocaine Blues, Dead Man's Chest, Death by Water. Mm -hmm. Now, I haven't read it, any of those, but what is it about Greenwood's books that make her a repeat featured author? So she's the author of the Franny Fisher Mysteries, and she's written 20 of those. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the TV show, Miss Fisher's mm -hmm. Murder Mysteries. No. They're, oh, oh my goodness. Well, this is a great day for you because <laughs> you need to watch that show. It's set in 1920s Melbourne, Australia, and oh. Franny Fisher comes from a wealthy background She's inherited a bunch of money and she has moved to Melbourne and she has decided that she is going to become a lady detective. And the TV show is very close adaptation of the books. And the thing that I love about them is that they are pure escapism. You can read them as very light, frothy, kind of cozy murder mysteries. The violence is always off the page. But the plots also dabble in social and political issues of the time. So she's this gorgeously coiffed, beautifully dressed, really like sassy woman who is taking on some real social issues and standing up for women in a time when that was not necessarily what was happening. So they're super fun, but there's also some teeth to them, which makes me really enjoy them. And because it's a series... Franny goes on a train and solves a murder mystery. Franny goes on a cruise ship to New ah. Zealand and solves a murder mystery. So you kind of get like double sense of place because you get Australia in the time frame. And then you also get her going into these other very iconic kind of archetypal settings, a manor house, a New Year's Eve party. So they're super fun. And we tend to not repeat authors on the podcast. So I cheat and write about my favorite series books on the website because <laughs> I can't ever really talk about them on the podcast. Where can you find the series? I believe it's on Netflix. Miss cool. Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Well, and it's great because if you like that character, there are 21 of these books. So you can spend a lot of time with Franny. 
So Melissa, how can people find Strong Sense of Place? Our website is strongsenseofplace.com. Our podcast is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. On social media, we are at Strong Sense of pretty much everywhere. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so through our website on the Contact Us button. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there live or in archives at forwardradio.org.